Good morning, everyone. We'll be studying from Ephesians 4 this morning, so you can start turning there. Ephesians 4 has kind of been my um, obsession, if you want to call it that, in the last several months. And uh, my Bible has become very well trained. It just flips to it without much effort. Of course, it probably helps that some rain fell on one of these pages and it got a crease in it. But Ephesians 4, we, we studied this uh, passage from here about a month ago, uh, verses 7 through 16. And, and in that passage, we talked about the fact that we all have individual gifts to offer to the church. We're all called to the ministry. We all need to be engaged in, in growing up the church. And today in verses 17 through 24, what we're going to be studying, we'll be focusing especially on verses 22 through 24 that talk about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And, and what does that mean and how do we do it? So Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 24. I'm reading from the New American Standard. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul starts this section kind of like he starts the chapter of Ephesians 4 with, with a call to his readers, and he uses the expression, affirm together with the Lord, which is his way of putting extra emphasis on the fact that he's, he's speaking for God here. He's, he's God's mouthpiece, and, and God has a message for the saints at Ephesus, and the message is this, that they should no longer be like the Gentiles. Now, before we're all offended this morning, you need to understand that the word translated Gentiles, is, it means different things in different contexts, and, and here it means those who are outside of Christ. Don't be like the Gentiles who are unsaved. And then verses 17 through 19 uh, they, they're kind of similar to what's described in Romans chapter 1, where it talks about this downward progression of, of depravity. I believe it starts with the hardness of heart that is talked about in verse 18, hardness of heart, uh, a heart that says no to God. Like it, like it says over in Romans 1 verse 21, it says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So there's this rejection of God, this hardness of heart. It leads to an ignorance. It, it excludes us from the life of God. And when we're excluded from God, we're cut off from the source of truth. 
and our understanding becomes increasingly dark and mixed up, and our thinking becomes futile. It seems to me like our society, uh, we have we have more access to information more easily than ever. You can Google anything and get an answer, and usually a pretty good answer, but if you're looking for pure facts. And we're more educated than ever, but it seems like at the same time we might be more ignorant than ever. When, when, you, when you don't know God, you miss the whole point of life. You miss the whole purpose. Everything just turns into this vanity of vanities, this, this constant chasing after self-fulfillment that in the end, even if you've gained the world, it all adds up to nothing. And everything they accomplish is, is just built on sand, like we heard about this morning. So we don't have to live lives like that. We don't have to be like these people described in 17 through 19. And I'm very grateful that we don't have to live lives of futility. In verses 20 and 21, Paul says, You did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him. In other words, if, if you've really come to the feet of Jesus and you've really heard his message to you, then these people that we just described in verses 17 through 19, you can't be like them. You may have been on that destructive path before, but you can't keep going down that road. Instead, there are three things that you are taught to do in Christ. You're taught that you need to lay aside the old self, be renewed in your mind, and put on the new self. Now let's take a minute and and try to figure out what these verses, 22 through 24, are saying. What are they telling us that we need to do? And then we'll we'll talk about what does it take to really put this in reality? Uh, How do we do this? Well, it's good to remember that, that Paul here, he's writing to people. He wrote this letter to the saints at Ephesus. So he's already talking to people who are Christians pretty consistently throughout this whole book. And so when he says put off the old self and put on the new self, he's, it's a call directed to people who are Christians, and he's talking about something that doesn't just automatically happen to you when you became a Christian. It's not just something God just did for you automatically. It's something that you have some responsibility in, in performing. And now I, I don't want to cause any confusion here. I don't think this is an optional step. I don't think you become a Christian and then if you want to, you can go ahead and follow through with this if you want to graduate at a higher level. No, I think this is the, the most basic of, se- of steps if you want to continue in Christ. So what, what is he talking about when, he, when, he, when he's talking about an old self and a new self? I believe he's talking about a change of behavior to match what has already happened on the inside. Uh, the old self is talking about an, an old way of living, the, the old behavior, the old attitudes, the whole bundle. And the new self is, is the opposite, new thinking, new behavior, and so on. But the new self, it's not just something that, that you come up with on your own. It's, it's instead, uh, it's a creation, is what it says in verse 24. It's something that has been created in righteousness. And this is a little bit confusing to me, but I don't want to just ignore the nuance here and and oversimplify this. This new self is something that is created, but it's something that we're called to put on 
and it's something that we need to embrace. Now, this whole thing is only possible for those who are born again. It's, it's important for us to realize that, that when, you, when you were born again, you weren't just forgiven and then given motivation to do better. Instead, something transformative really did happen inside of you. Uh, that's why, whether it's, whether it's Peter or, or John or Paul writing about the new birth, they use the expression being born again. And Paul talks about uh, being a new creation or being made alive in Christ. Over in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, in, in chapter 5, he says, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. And when we were born again, something happened on the inside that makes it possible for us to break the bondage of sin. Otherwise, this whole thing about laying off the old self and putting on the new self, it wouldn't make any sense. There'd be no point. Over in Romans chapter 6, Paul makes this very clear in verses 13 and 14 where he says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, before, sin was your master, but that's changed now. It should not be your master anymore. Now, you may have noticed, if you're a Christian, that sin may not be your master anymore, but the fight's not over. Uh, sin still has a powerful attraction. And why is that? How do we explain that? Well, although we got changed on the inside, we still have this sin-inclined flesh that we live in. And it's not going to go away until you die, and hopefully that won't happen anytime soon. So you're going to have to learn to deal with it. So let's, let's just summarize kind of the state of affairs in verses 20 through, 20 through 24. Paul's talking to Christians. He's saying they need to change their behavior to match what's go, what already happened on the inside. Uh, what he, this change that he's talking about, it's, it's not an optional thing. I think we would all agree with that. And we have a part to play in making this happen. Paul wouldn't have written these verses otherwise. And, the, and there's the verse over in, in Philippians 2, Uh, verses 12 and 13 that say, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then comes the paradox. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is the one who makes this transformation possible, this change of behavior possible. All right, the the common and unfortunate reality that has often been my experience and maybe has been experienced for some of you is that we know we're born again. We know that something major changed way deep down inside, but sin still feels like it bullies us around quite a bit. And sometimes reading verses like all things have become new can almost make you feel uncomfortable. I don't know if you felt that way or not. And you ask the question, well, 
why do I, why do I have this ongoing struggle with sin? You know, I know that, that sin should not be my master, but it feels like there's a pretty major power struggle going on. You know, why does it feel like sometimes that struggle is, is more like a stalemate than it should be? Well, let me just, this is just a, give, let me give you a word of encouragement. And this is just a bit of a rabbit trail. I hope you don't mind. This isn't directly connected with, with our passage, but thinking about this struggle. If, if you are grieved by sin in your life and you're frustrated by the, the power struggle, if you want to call it that, well, that is a good sign. It's a good sign that you're grieving over sin. The old creature doesn't care much about the, uh, the effects of sin beyond any immediate consequences. But the new creature is frustrated by it, and it indicates that something really did change inside. No one won a victory over sin without being grieved by it to begin with. Um, and so on the flip side of the equation, it, it's also a good thing for us to remember that if there is a pattern of sin in our lives and we're not bothered by it, that's a bad sign. That's something to be worried about, very concerned. All right, that was my aside. Uh, stalemate is not a condition that, that um, I think Christ had in mind for Christians. I don't think he meant us to live with one foot in the old nature and one foot in the new, and it's, it's a miserable place to be. There's always going to be a battle. Um, Christ didn't die on the cross, though, so that you would just be in a state of equilibrium or a, a stalemate, kind of back and forth, teetering struggle with the flesh. How, how do we gain the upper hand? Well, let's, let's go through these steps and let's look at them more closely here. Let's begin with, with this one. Laying aside the old. This is not something that you're going to do just once. It's not something God just does for you without you doing anything on your own. Or, or not, not without you having some input into the process. Uh, and it's not something you're going to do a few times and then be done. It's something you're going to have to do a long time. It takes a serious and an ongoing commitment. Now, when, when he says lay aside the old, I don't think he's just saying stop doing certain bad things. Now, it's good to realize that certain bad things, we need to, we need to stop doing them, and that's, that's part of making the change. But I think he's, he's really saying that there's something deeper that needs to go on. He's saying that you need to stop letting the flesh make your decisions for you anymore. Don't just stop doing certain things. Dethrone the flesh. Don't let it make your decisions. Because the flesh will get you to do things that may not feel like outright sin to your mind, but they are still feeding something bad in the flesh. Still feeding the flesh. Still giving it some measure of control. It's pushing you around. And I think that when we make that kind of decision um, and, and give the flesh control, you know, I think we're making a serious mistake. And I think 
It's exactly what Paul is talking about over in Romans 13, verse 14, which is where he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Paul clearly thought that the flesh should not be the master. Uh, instead, he, he, he says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. So you can't accommodate the flesh and, and expect to ever really get this old to new transformation. You, you can never really put on the new without, as long as you're accommodating the flesh. You know, in, in software development, we spend quite a bit of time chasing down bugs, trying to figure out why in this certain set of circumstances does this thing misbehave or totally break, whatever the case may be. And sometimes it, it's, it's easy to find out what the problem is. Other times you can chase it for hours. And the longer it takes to, to find out the root cause of the problem, the longer it takes to diagnose the problem, the tendency is for us to spin wilder and wilder theories as to what's going on, because it can't possibly be something in our code. You know, somebody else has, has, has broken something. And, you know, eventually, if we never find the problem, sometimes we'll use a term like, oh, it was a ghost in the database or something like that, which obviously makes no sense. But if we do find the root problem, it tends to be something pretty simple. And we realize, oh, I should have thought of that a long time ago. It's so obvious. You know, I was connected to the wrong database or whatever. And sometimes I think when we diagnose our spiritual state and try to figure out what, what is wrong here, why am I not walking in newness of life, I think the problem is just simply we're, we're being too accommodating of the flesh. Very, very simple explanation, but I think it's often the accurate one. All right, let's, let's talk about putting on the new self. We're going to come back to verse 23 in a, in a minute here. Let's talk about putting on the new self. That means you start acting like a Christian. You, uh, you decide that you're going to live out the most challenging verse in the Bible, which is the one that says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. James makes it clear that faith needs to produce works. And the rest of Ephesians, pretty much following verse 24, is devoted to, to telling us what this new kind of behavior should look like. And, and if you look in these next few verses that follow 24, Paul uses this pattern several times. He says, stop doing this and instead start doing this. And it's not too hard to imagine someone who has maybe kind of quit doing some of the most obvious bad things, but hasn't really embraced some of the, the new traits either. For instance, like in verse 25, maybe somebody, he stopped lying to his neighbor Maybe he doesn't talk to his neighbor at all. Maybe he doesn't steal, but maybe he doesn't give. Maybe he doesn't use filthy language, like in verse 29, but maybe he never has any words of encouragement. So somebody who has done in this state has not really, has not put on the new self, has not put on the, the new way of, of living. And, and I don't think they've really put off the old self either, would be my guess. But when you do put on the new self and act out your faith, it makes your faith stronger. Now let's talk about verse 23, renewing your mind. 
I want us first to notice the number of words in this passage that talk that have some connection with our mind or how we think or what we know. For example, in verse 17, futility of their mind. Verse 18, darkened in their understanding. Ignorance. Verse 20, learn Christ. And then 21, taught in him and truth. And then 22 mentions deceit. And 23, renewed in the spirit of your mind. And 24, again, truth. Now, I doubt that there's, I haven't done an analysis of the book of Ephesians, but I doubt that anywhere else in the book of Ephesians is there such a concentration of words that refer to how we think. And I think it's really significant that when we get to the passage that talks about laying off the old and putting on the new, suddenly Paul is peppering us with all these words that point to our minds. So maybe this is the point that needs to be, maybe this is the step that needs to be most emphasized here. Obviously, none of these three steps are going to work on their own. Um, But you certainly can't get from laying off the old self to putting on the new self without this renewal of the mind happening. In Romans 12, of course, you're probably already thinking of this verse. That's a verse that says it very directly, where it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's, what's being changed here? What, what's, what's he mean by the word mind? Well, in this context, where it says in the spirit of your mind, he's talking about not just your intellect, but your attitude of your mind. In fact, some translations say the attitude of your mind. It's talking about your, your attitudes, your affections, and your values. How do we renew our mind? Well, if, if you go to the doctor, let's use this analogy for a second. If you go to the doctor and you, you went for a physical and the doctor says, things aren't looking too good. Your cholesterol's too high. Your blood pressure's too high. Your arteries are all clogged. I don't know if they'd find that out in the physical, but let's just say they could. Um, other bad things are happening. What do you need to do? You know, if you don't change your behavior, you're going to die prematurely. You're aging. Uh, you're too old for your age. You need to put on some behavior that's going to make you younger again, at least to some degree. And he's going to use, probably going to use the words diet and exercise. And I think those broad categories are also true for, for um, how we go about renewing our mind. Let's begin with this diet one. We need to feed on God's word more and junk food less. You know, you, you never get anywhere without the truth to begin with. That's the absolute starting point. And the truth is not just something you get once. It's something you need to feed on daily, like daily bread. And as you feed on it, you develop convictions and not just convictions about what's right and wrong, but about who God is and and why we need him. And now at this point, you may be you may ask a valid question. This may occur to you. The question is this. Wait a second. 
My problem isn't that I don't know what's right and what's wrong. My problem is doing the right thing. I can't stop doing wrong. How is knowing God's Word going to help me with that? Well, that's a good question. And the answer has to do with the fact that God's Word is not like anything else. It's not, it's not just literature. It's not just values. It's not just you know, a book of history. It's a message from the Creator to us. And so it should be no surprise to us that this message happens to be alive. Like it talks about in Hebrews 4, it's alive, it's active, and it's powerful. Over in John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer, and he's praying for his apostles, in verses 16 and 17, he, uses, he makes a very interesting statement that I think is very relevant to this renewing the mind. He says that they, speaking of the apostles, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then he says, sanctify them. Sanctify means, you know, make them holy, consecrate them, change them. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So my conclusion is that if we're struggling with holiness, if, if we're not very uh, sanctified, then maybe feeding on God's word is a big part of the answer. After all, faith did start by hearing, so wouldn't it make sense that continuing to hear the truth and absorb the truth would make our faith stronger? That's exactly what it's saying over in 1 Peter chapter 2, um, verses 1 and 2. And you'll notice something very, um, and I don't think it's a coincidence, that this, he uses... Uh, He starts off with something very much in common with what we're talking about here in Ephesians. He says, Therefore, putting aside, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. No message is as pure or as powerful as God's Word. And so we need, we need to know God and we need to feed on the truth. And uh, we, we need to make sure that God's Word is a huge part of our mental diet. And put it simply, today we have less excuse than any generation for that not to be the truth. We should be able to feed on God's Word more than anything else and a lot of the time. We have the technology to do this. Less, less non-spiritual stuff and more spiritual stuff. Someone who is feeding on God's Word with an open heart and listening will be changed, and someone who is not will not be. All right, talked about diet. Now let's talk briefly about exercise and, and its role in renewing the mind. And of course, now we need to look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. Here, Paul says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The implication of setting your mind on things above 
is that we think more about the things that are above. We think more about eternal things. We, we desire them, and we make them our focus. And you remember over in Philippians chapter 4 where um, Paul's talking about, he has a very similar encouragement. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't just know, don't just be aware that you know, some things are right and pure and good. Dwell on them. There's a big difference between knowing that something is true and knowing it and being aware of it when it needs to be applied. Does that make any sense? So you can know that something is true, but you may have forgotten it at a critical point in your life when it would be a good time to apply that truth. For example, if you might know that God means for you to be unselfish, kind, and polite, and loving, but if, if someone does cut you off in traffic, you know, do you lean on the horn? Of course, I'm sure you can argue that you're actually speaking the truth in love here in this scenario. You know, call it traffic edification. Sometimes people do need to be aware that what they did was dangerous, right? But let's say, actually, in this case, deep down, you really were reacting in anger, right? Surely that wouldn't be the case. Uh, you know, you probably didn't have time to, to think about it, you know, what is really the right thing for me to do? I think a lot of the times I don't blow the horn because I'm too upset to get my hand to the horn. But in this case, you know, you maybe didn't have time to think about it when it happened. But if, for instance, about 10 minutes earlier, you'd been having this interaction with God and saying, Lord, help me to be like you today. What would you like me to do for you today? How do you want me to live today? Then, when someone cuts you off, you would at least be less likely to blow your horn. I think so. You'd be a lot less likely to react like that. So, what I'm getting at is, it's, it's easy to know kind of abstractly what God wants from us if we have time to think about what God wants from us. And so, when we do have time to think about what God wants from us, we should. Because then when we're reacting on impulse, we will react more likely in a way that, that uh, is in accordance with this new life that we should be putting on. Renew your mind by thinking about what God wants from you and, and how you should be living in a way that's pleasing to Him. Make, make a habit for yourself of asking the question, what does God want me to do? I think it's really hard to uh, walk as Christ walked without, or, or do the will of the Father without ever consciously asking yourself that question, what does God want from me? It needs to be a common and recurring exercise for our minds, thinking about what God wants and what He values. Laying off the old, putting on the new, it, it's not optional. It's, it's something that we definitely have a part to play in doing it. It's not just something God does for us without us contributing it at all. But it is something that can be done. Uh, when, when God was speaking through Paul here and, and uh, 
delivering this message, this challenge to the Ephesians, he wasn't asking them to do something that was just totally impossible. It's not an impossible demand. And I don't think Christ died on the cross so that we have to, you know, go through this kind of ongoing spiritual stalemate with one foot in the old and one foot in the new. I really think we can walk in this newness of life. And I want it to be a reality for me and and for each of us this morning. I pray that it is. Let's have a song.